If you have your Bibles, take them and turn in them to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16. And uh, we're looking at a, a, a passage of Scripture from uh, verse uh, 16 to 24 from Acts chapter 16, a fascinating passage of Scripture. And I think it's helpful to get a, a, just a little bit of a background before we read it and then go to the Lord in prayer this morning, because I, I think in this passage we are introduced to a few things which are um, rather uh, central and basic to a Christian worldview or Christian reality. As we come to this passage, we are reminded that um, for Christians and for those who, who understand uh, what the Scripture is uh, speaking to us, that we live in the midst of two realities. These realities are coexistent, um, side-by-side realities that intersect back and forth. Um, they, they are not sort of things that run parallel. They are not realities that, that, that never really um, touch each other, but rather they are enmeshed realities. There is the spiritual world. The spiritual world is an invisible world. We don't see it, but we know it exists around us. We feel its power. We see its force. We are told about it in the Scripture. And then we we understand from the Scripture that this spiritual world has structure. It has authority. It has power. um, And it has a real influence on the day-to-day activities of the world and of our lives, both on the micro level and on the macro level. At the same time, we have the physical reality in which we all live. It's a reality of the five senses, and and it is a reality that we see and we touch and we smell and we hear and and we speak, and and it's a reality that we are very familiar with. What we see, though, in this particular passage is is how those realities intersect in a few ways. I want us to just consider a few passages of Scripture before we actually read this text so that you understand the the inner interplay I was um, thinking that really the Bible is framed by beginning to tell us that these, uh, how these realities intersect. We have Adam and Eve who are created in the garden. And out of nowhere, we have the serpent, Satan, who comes and speaks to them and leads them astray through his words. Even in the garden, we have God himself coming down into the garden and walking with them. And so we have the invisible intersecting with the visible. You move to the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation and you see there the big conflict between the spiritual forces and the physical world. You see the impact of the beast and of the false prophet uh, and of, of the dragon as they cause havoc in this world and try and bring down the church of God and how in the end Christ will win that battle. We find though, written throughout the Bible, little snippets of this intersection of what is continuing to go on even as we speak now. For instance, there's a, there's a story in, in um, 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 19, which is illustrative, I think, of the councils that take place in heaven. And we are unaware of these councils, but the Bible reveals to them uh, us in various ways. In this particular one, you have a king. You have King Ahab, and he wants to go out to do a battle. And so as he's getting ready to go to do the battle, he wants to know if he's going to be successful in the battle. And so what he does is he rounds up 400 prophets and he gets them uh, around him and he gets them prophesying and every one of them prophesies a good word for him. But in the back of his mind, he knows that there's one prophet who he really doesn't want to talk to, but but he, he calls him just for, I don't know, maybe to humor him. And so uh, Micaiah comes to him and he says, well, you know what, you're not going to, su- or first he says you're going to succeed. And then he says, no, tell me the truth. And he says, well, you're not going to succeed. And then Micaiah goes on and he says this. Listen to what the Lord says. 
I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the armies of heaven around him, on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who can entice Ahab to go to battle against Ramoth Gilead so he can be killed? There were many suggestions. Finally, a spirit approached the Lord and said, I can do it. How will you do this? The Lord asked. The spirit replied, I will go out and I will inspire all of Ahab's prophets to speak lies. You will succeed, said the Lord. Go ahead and do it. So you see, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all your prophets, for the Lord has pronounced your doom. There we see an illustration of the spiritual and the physical world intersecting one another. We find another council that takes place in the book of Job. Uh, the first chapter, the first two chapters of Job, we find there two councils taking place in heaven. And it says in Job, on one day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord. And the accuser, Satan, came with them. And if you read the book of Job, you read how Satan and, and God had this discussion and how uh, God asked Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan was aware of Job and his life. And, and, and Satan said, well, he only loves you because you have blessed him. And so God gave Job into his power. And you know how Satan came and interacted in the physical world and brought destruction to Job's family. I've told you this uh, account um, in Zechariah chapter 3 before a few times. It's so illustrative of this again. But in Zechariah, it says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. As the high priest is ministering on behalf of the people, Satan is, is beside him accusing him. We find, though, uh, there's another side of this too. That, that we find that there's a whole host of accounts in Scripture of how the angelic world comes and it interacts with the physical world. And we find this in the Old Testament. We find it, um, uh, you know, with, uh, with, with Joseph and, and the ladder and angels coming up and down. We find it in the book of Judges, angels uh, talking with Samson's mother and talking with Gideon. We move to the New Testament and we find that it's angels who came down. Mike referred to them and, and they, they, they spoke to, um, is it Zechariah? And they told him, that he would give birth to a son and they were to name him John. We have the angels that proclaim the birth of Jesus. We have the angels in the heavens who intersect physical reality and they see the whole hosts of heavens filled with angels singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace towards men. We see angels intersecting the lives of humans throughout the course of human history. We find it even in the life of our Lord who on his own was ministered to by angels who on his own, as he was just before going to the cross, he said, uh, as, as he was considering, uh, did he had to go this route, that he said, if I wanted, I could call numerous angels to come and to rescue me and to deliver me from you. In Psalm 91.11, we read, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. We read in other places in Hebrews that angels are ministering servants towards us. So there is this understanding that believers have and that Christians have of this worldview that is a spiritual world and a physical world, and they intersect one another. I was thinking of this, um, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13. We looked at this a year and a half ago. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? Why do we need to be strong? Why do we need to put on the armor of God? that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle or fight against flesh and blood, but we wrestle with, with, with rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now, we might be thinking in our head, well, where did these evil powers come from? Where do these rulers and authorities and these spiritual forces in dark places come from? Where do it, is, are we saying that there are sort of two gods and there are two kingdoms and we don't really know who's going to win and, and, and what the outcome is going to be? Well, we flip over to the book of Colossians and we read there about the origin of these powers and of these rulers and of these principalities. Where do demons and angels come from? Well, they were created by Christ who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the preeminent one, the one that is above all. It says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. What I do not understand fully is how all these principalities and powers serve God, But they do. They are not um, a power above God. They are not a power equal to God. They are a power that has been created to serve God. He goes on and he says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Beloved, we live in a reality that engages both physical and spiritual realities. There's another way in which we are connected, though, with this uh, spiritual reality, and it's a way that any one of us who is a follower of Christ knows. It is through prayer. Who do we pray to? We pray to our Father who is in heaven. Do we see God in heaven? No. Do we know that heaven exists? Yes. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. And so the fact that we pray assumes that every day we engage in this spiritual reality. We talk to God who to our sight is invisible. We communicate with him. Prayer is an amazing gift that God has given us. And so through prayer, we intersect on a moment-by-moment basis with the spiritual realm. So having said that, Let's read the text, and it might make a bit of sense to you then as we look at the text and as we wrestle around with it. In uh, Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 24, as they were going to the place of prayer, we were met there by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. They are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept our practice. The crowd joined in, attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave them uh, to the orders to beat them with rods. 
And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Father, I confess we come to you um, about an area that we know very little about. What we do know about it, we find revealed to us in Scripture. Father, it's so important that we don't go beyond what Scripture says, but that we look at what Scripture does say. Father, this passage is an interesting passage. It's a revealing passage because it shows us again how our physical worlds intersect with spiritual worlds and some of the motivations and the dangers that lie behind that and some of the power involved there. So help us, I pray, this morning to make sense of this passage. Spirit of God, speak to our hearts. Only let us hear what is from God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that just jumped out to me, and just more points along the way as we go this morning, is in the very first verse, in verse 16, it says they were going to the place of prayer. I I found that just fascinating. I just sat there and camped on that for a little while. Uh, This last couple of weeks, they were going to the place of prayer. It's similar, it might seem similar to me, that it it was uh, last week where we read that they went to the place of prayer, which was by the river, which... Uh, which was a Sabbath. Maybe this was a Sabbath day. And that was just what they did on the Sabbath. They went to the place of prayer together. I was amazed about this concept again, just thinking about this. And um, just as I was praying this week, just amazed at the reality of prayer. That the opportunity that you and I have to communicate with the God who created this world, to communicate with the God who, who sustains this universe, To communicate with the God who has actually the power to affect things in our life. The power to answer our prayer. The power to accomplish His purposes through our praying and our talking. Through prayer we get to know God. Through prayer we become a friend of God. Through prayer we we understand about ourselves. It is an amazing gift that God has given to us. And so they were going to the place of prayer. What an opportunity to communicate with God. But I was thinking a little bit more even about the destination. They were going to the place of prayer. I know what the scripture says and I've read them and I've read them to myself. Be constant in prayer. Pray at all times. Pray without ceasing. And sometimes we convince ourselves that 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 is sufficient. Well, I do that. Listen, I do that when I drive to work or, you know, I do that when I'm doing the dishes or I do that when I'm walking to school or I do that when I'm walking the dog or I do that when I'm out in the garden or I do that when I'm out fishing. Um, I, I am constantly in prayer with God and I get that and that is right and that is good. But Scripture does seek, seem to speak of a destination place, of a place where we go to pray. We find this in a, in a number of spots. I was thinking of Genesis chapter 2 when Abraham went and he planted a tamarisk tree. And it says, and from that day on he began to call upon the name of the Lord. That was Abraham's place of prayer. We read of Daniel in Daniel chapter 3 that three times daily Daniel would go to a place of prayer. And he would get on his knees and he would turn his heads toward Jerusalem and he would cry out to God at the place of prayer. Now I'm convinced he prayed all throughout the day. But three times a day he went to the place of prayer. We find in other places that Jesus implies to us in Matthew chapter 6 that we have a prayer closet. That we have a place that we go that nobody else knows about, that nobody else goes there. It's a place that's set apart for us where we go and we commune with God. 
It's a place where, where, where we, where we, it's a destination we go to communicate with God. We find that Jesus often went out in the desert to pray or took off to pray and he got away from the crowds. And yes, he was talking to the Father all the time, but he realized that he had to get away and go and pray to the Father. I found it fascinating to just recall again that text where Jesus goes into the temple complex. He goes there to drive out those buying and selling in the temple. And we read how he overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those that were selling doves. And then he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. I think that as we look back into those days, that the synagogue to them was a place of prayer. They would go up to the synagogue to pray. It was just known as that was one of the activities that took place when you got together to pray. We don't have a synagogue and we don't get together on the Sabbath, but we do have a Lord's Day. We do have a Lord's Day, which is the first day of the week. What does that day look like? Well, to be sure, it's a day of rest. To be sure, it's a unique day that's different from the other days in which we live and serve God. But how much is prayer a part of that day? How much is prayer, how much time is set aside because you have more time than the other days to pray? And what about when we gather together as a church? Because we are told to gather together on the Lord's Day as a church. Do you think of it when you come? I wonder, did we think when we gathered together today that we were going to the place of prayer? Did we all think in our minds that when we gather today, prayer might be important? As we got ready for church last night and started thinking about going to church today and gathering with the church and being with God's people, did we start praying there? And did we say, well, I'm looking forward to going and praying. And when we got here, we sat down and we had about three or four minutes before the service started and we prayed. Or maybe when we came in, we saw somebody and we chatted with them and we thought, I need to pray with you. And so we prayed with them. But do we consider at all that when we gather together on the Lord's day, that we are coming to a place of prayer? I think we should. I think it would be helpful for all of us, myself included, to more and more consider that as we gather together here on the Lord's Day, one of the activities in which we engage is prayer. Prayer to God and prayer for one another. And so this was important to this small group of people that they went to the place of prayer. And it says there, as they were going to the place of prayer, something rather obnoxious happened to them. It says, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. By the way, it's always fascinating the interruptions we have going to prayer. They, they can be numerous. In this one, it happens to be a slave girl who was possessed by a spirit of divination. As they were going to pray, they were met by her and she started haranguing them and harassing them. She was full of a spirit of divination. The spirit actually has a name. If you were to go to the Greek text, the spirit's name here is Pythos. And it was a, a well-known God in those days. It was a Pythinian spirit. Many of the commentators make reference to this Pythinian spirit that it was a, a snake of classical mythology which guarded the temple of Apollo and the Delphic Oracle. Or Oracle. And Apollo was thought to be embodied in the snake and he would inspire Pythonesis or ability to speak forth things or even something ventriloquism. And so people would go and they would cult, they would, they would consult these pythonetic spirits. And so this girl was perceived 
to be filled with a spirit of python by which she declared the future or pretended to declare the future to people. That's exactly the, 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 the function of this particular spirit is to declare the future, revealing past and present in order to, to give the, 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 the look of being able to predict the future. Now, we might not go to a Pythinian spirit today. But don't be fooled. We have people by the dozens in the hundreds who go and consult those wanting to know the future. They go to astrologists. They read their horoscopes. They go and have their cards read. They go and have their palms read. They go and have their tea leaves read. They go and have a consult with a psychic. It's no different from what was taking place here. We're no different from they were 2,000 years ago. There is a fascination. There is a desire. There is something in the human nature and the sinful side of human nature that wants to know the future. And there are always those that are willing to profit from that. There are always those who are willing to presume that they can speak the future when in fact they don't know the future. And it is a dangerous, dangerous thing for people to get involved with anyone other than God in trying to know what the future holds. We need to listen carefully to Scripture because this power in the spiritual world is very real power. It is very real authority. It has the ability to damage people's lives, to damage their mental health, to damage their physical health, to damage their spiritual health. Why do, why do people go to these, these things? How do the various fortune tellers succeed? Well, they succeed in a number of ways. I think they succeed through deceit. It's the same horoscope that is printed in hundreds of newspapers around the world at the same time. And people think somehow that's individual for them. But in fact, it's the same horoscope that others are reading. I've read stories about people who make up horoscopes and people believe them. And, and, and so they, they believe through deceit. There's a lot of information out there that one of the most powerful ways that fortune tellers and psychics and, and tarot card readers and those succeed is through the power of suggestion. Which is absolutely brutal because they drop suggestions into people's minds and into people's hearts and those suggestions then become the driving forces in those people's lives. And they live out those li- or their lives as, those, as though those suggestions were true. And those suggestions bring about havoc in their lives. And so they succeed because of power of suggestion. They succeed because of the very real influence of the occult. The very real influence of demons. And this is what this girl had. She had a demonic spirit in her. Loved ones, we have all we need to know about the future revealed in the Word of God. We don't need to know any more about the future. God knows what is best for us. God knows what our tomorrow holds. God knows what our, to- our, our next hour holds. We don't need to know that. If He's not chosen to reveal it to us, we have no business trying to figure it out. And the fact that God knows the future tells me that God controls the future. God alone knows what is going to happen tomorrow in a month in 10 months, in 10 years. God is the beginning from the end. God has created time. God has set this world in motion. God alone knows what the future holds. He says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praise with carved idols. Everything I prophesied has come true. And now I will prophesy again, and I will tell you what happens in the future before it happens. 
There are so many who have, there's been this fascination with the future since the day man was created and fell. It has been part of the ancient Near East. It has been part of every culture in the world. It has been part of the people of Israel's history. It has been part of the Hellenistic culture's history. It has been part of China's history, Europe's history, North America's history, Africa's history. We want to know the future. Who should I marry? Who, who, who will be my running mate? Who, how should I make this decision? Am I going to win this battle? Will I have kids? How many kids will I have? Why did this happen to me? And we just keep asking these questions after questions. And God has not given us the answer to those. And so we ought not to be investigating them. This word fortune telling is used frequently in the Old Testament. Where he says she had a spirit, uh, a Pythonese spirit by which she could tell fortunes. Listen to what the Old Testament has to say about this loved ones. Deuteronomy 18, verse 9. When you come to the land of the Lord that your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. Now listen to them that are described. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. The very next one. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a median or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead, for he ever does these things, is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God, before the, for these nations which you are about to dispossess. Listen to fortune tellers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. The Lord your God will raise up a prophet for you from among your brothers. To him you shall listen. Who do we listen to? Christ. And Christ alone. Leviticus 20 verse 6. I will set my face against anyone who turns to mediums and spiritists to prostitute themselves by following them. I will cut them off from their people. 1 Samuel 15.22. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. To mess with the future, to mess with fortune tellers, to mess with those things is a sin. The scripture clearly calls it a sin. 2 Kings 17.16 And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God. They made for themselves metal images of two calves. They made an Asherah and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. They burned their sons and their daughters as offerings and used divinations and omens and sold themselves to do evil. They sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord. When we participate in that stuff, when we seek counsel from that stuff, we are selling ourselves to evil. And to do what is not right before the Lord. One more. Do not defile yourselves by turning to mediums or by those who consult the spirits of the dead. I am the Lord your God. Why does God say no? Because God says so. Because it's an abomination to him. Why does he say no? Because it is a sin. Why does he say no? Because diviners are inspired by spirits of the dark world. Why does he say no? Because of these practices, God drove out the people of Canaan. Why does he say no? Because we are to seek our guidance from God and God alone. Why does he say no? Because scripture says that one of the reasons King Saul died was because he consulted a medium for guidance. Why does he say no? Because the Bible strongly warns people not to consult mediums or spiritists for the truth, but to inquire of God. 
Why does he say no? Because of everyone that I've read, and there are some individuals who have had way more experience and work in this world than I will ever have, and they document the physical, psychological, and spiritual consequences that come from getting involved in this area of life. And two of the most prominent of them are depression and a loss of moral inhibition. There's something that happens when you expose yourself to the evil world. And so he says, no. The proclamation of the way of salvation. He says that she followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God and they proclaim to you the way of salvation. I just want to say off the top that the most important thing to, to get across is there is a way of salvation. I want you to hear that this morning before we move on quickly here. That Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The Bible is so, so clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That we are lost, that we are alienated, that we are without hope. That we are under the, the wrath of God. That, that, that we, are, um, uh, we are separated from Him. And there is only one way by which we can be made right with God and get back into a relationship with Him as He created us to be and intended us always from the beginning. And that is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. There is a way of salvation. But this girl is going around saying, these men are servants of the Most High who proclaim to you the way of salvation. I ask myself, was this demonically inspired truth? Was this a demonically inspired word from God? Was this slave girl being used to proclaim truth or to propagate confusion? After all, this title, the Most High, was a title that was attributed to lots of gods, certainly to Zeus. He was also called the Most High God. And there were many ways of salvation back in those days. You just picked and choose whichever way seemed best to you. And so was this confusion, was this just adding another way into all the existing ways and all the existing gods? So all we have is this religious pluralism. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. You believe what you want to believe. I believe what I want to believe. And so this spirit in this girl was creating confusion. The demonic world is no stranger to spiritual realities. Jesus confronted demons in his earthly ministries. And as he did, they confessed truly, you are the Holy One of God, or you are the Son of God, or you are the Son of the Most High God. And so this is, Jesus confronted these demons and he told them to be quiet as well. But again, you say, well, wasn't this a great opportunity for Paul to preach the truth now? Here's this girl in the spirit and they've helped him out. They've helped him out. Yes, God is the Most High and, and he is the only way to salvation. I think No. You need to consider the source. And just as Jesus silenced demons who were proclaiming that he was the son of the most high God, Paul and Silas silenced this demon in this girl who was proclaiming that Jesus was the, or that, that there was, uh, that they were servants of the most high God proclaiming the way of salvation. It's a source that neither Paul nor Silas could condone. Satan was attempting to take the initiative of evangelism from God through Paul and the missionary band and give it an unholy context. It's just another weird and wonderful phenomenon of the day. Look at this crazy girl. Now she's telling about this God that can save you this way. And it creates confusion and it creates frustration and it, can fa- it creates this uh, inability in people to listen to anything and they walk away from truth. Many people today look upon psychics and fortune tellers, tea leaf readers and tarot card readers with suspicion. Only a few weeks ago we had a dramatic case of this when 
when we when they rescued those those three girls who had been kept captive for ten years. And you remember the story around that that as they proceeded to find out they had come across a, a fairly well-known psychic who not long after the girls had been taken um, hostage had predicted that they were dead or that one of them was dead and that they would never find her again and had the family all convinced that this girl was dead and in fact the mother died I think of a broken heart believing that her daughter was dead power of suggestion lost all hope her daughter's dead and then we find out that the psychic was wrong and this psychic was thoroughly uh, the brunt of hostilities about getting it wrong about this girl. Would it help if this lady accompanied Billy Graham or his son in evangelistic methods and say, you know what? They're saying this and I want to tell you too, God saves. Where's the credibility in the gospel? And so they, so we find in this particular situation that the proclamation of the way of salvation was coming from an unholy context. The power of God. I, I'm amazed at this and this part I do know. And I'm convinced of. And she kept doing this for many days. Think about this. This girl following them wherever they went many days. And just constantly, constantly saying this to them. Distracting them. And then maybe telling fortunes on the side. And then maybe saying this again over here. This girl used by her owners to make financial profit because of her predictions. Following them and saying this. Would this help Paul's witness? Or would it confuse people around them? I think it would confuse them. Truth and error mixed like oil and water. And so Paul was just annoyed and he was ticked off and, and he was troubled. And finally he turns to her and he says, I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out of her that minute. Loved ones, that is the power of Christ. We sang about the name of Christ. We need to understand there is salvation in the name of Jesus. There is healing in the name of Jesus. There is deliverance in the name of Jesus. That we do not have to be captive to our sin. We do not have to be captive to spirits that may have control of us. We do not have to be captive to, to things that God can heal us through the power of Jesus' name. And we need to be convinced of that reality more and more. There's no ritual. There's no special conversations. There's no special words. It's just the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, come out of her. And we know, do we not, that at one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and King. His name is above all names. And lastly, I just make a couple comments in passing on the price of truth. It struck me as I was reeling this, truth comes with a cost. These owners, handlers, human traffickers, let's call them what they were, not only was this girl a slave, owned by humans, but she was controlled by her spirit, or by a spirit. And these particular owners of the slave girl didn't give a rip about her. They didn't want to help her. In fact, she was their ticket to wealth and success. They exploited her. All they saw in her was money. All they saw in her was dollar signs. They didn't care about the truth in the girl's life. They didn't care about the truth that maybe she was supposedly revealing for money. They just went from person to person and from gig to gig and found it quite a lucrative deal. To the girl's owners, the spirit that controlled their slave speech was a business asset to be used for their financial gain. It's fascinating to me that this girl through the, the spirit through this girl says, these men are servants of the Most High God. These men don't see the spiritual reality and they simply says these men are Jews. And they're here to cause trouble. And if we let them keep going, they're going to upturn this whole town and we may lose our Roman citizenship. 
Let's shut them up. The price of truth for the owners was economic benefit. For them to speak the truth meant that they lost money. For them to deal with spiritualities meant, or spiritual realities meant that they would lose money. What about Paul and Silas? Paul and Silas, they could have said nothing. They could have kept their mouth shut. After all, the, the, the words spoken through the slave girl were, in fact, true. And maybe they could have just said, oh, you know, they're true. And just kind of moved on and maybe moved to another town and forgot all about it. But to have remained silent would have left that girl a slave, not only to the spirit, but to be used and mistreated by her owners. To remain silent would have meant ongoing slavery for this girl. And so the price of truth for Paul and Silas was this. They were seized and dragged into the marketplace. They were subject to false accusations. They were attacked and beaten by the crowds. And they were put in prison and stocks. There is a price to truth. There is a price to truth in our lives. We need to know what that cost is. So as I wrap up this morning, I just say, have you been dabbling in this world of darkness? You need to stop. You need to turn to Christ. You need to repent. You need to ask for forgiveness. You need to allow Christ to come in and cleanse you and to free you from the impact and the results of having opened up a door in that area for you. I want you to know, loved ones, that you don't need to be afraid of your future. You don't need to be concerned about your future. God knows what tomorrow holds for you. The Word of God is so clear. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't plan about tomorrow. Don't kind of say tomorrow we're going to do this, 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 and this. Know that the future will unfold, and as you walk with God and you trust God, He will give you the strength for whatever the future may hold for you. The Bible says very clearly, today has enough trouble of his own. Why do I want to worry about the troubles of the future? So, loved ones, you need to wrestle and become content and satisfied that you can trust God. Just as you trust God with your present, you can trust God with your future. You can trust God to get you where he wants you to be.